right, KISS Army. Welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today and letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. We hope that you enjoy. 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 Welcome to episode 314 of the KISS FAQ Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill. I am back and in command today. Oh, it looks like we've evicted everyone who was on last week's show. Or, no, Lonnie, were you? I'm here. I'm still here. I survived. You survived the death match. Well, welcome back. And uh, also joining us on a, a rare appearance. He's made time in his schedule. Michael, anything interesting going on in your interview world? Hey, yeah. So I am. Um, so I just interviewed Michael DeBar, who had uh, obviously he was in Silverhead. He played in Live Aid. Uh, he also sang, uh, you know, backup vocals for Mongoloid Man on Gene Simmons' Vault, and I think he was on Gene's solo record doing uh, backing vocals, which he likes to refer to as screaming. Um, <laughs> and uh, coming up, I'm going to be interviewing Tommy James in August because uh, I heard Crimson and Clover in a movie, and I'm like, ah, you know, I should really just interview him because I had the opportunity before, and anytime I have the opportunity to interview someone who's older and had a classic song or did something, you know, that has, you know, made a mark on society. I just think it's important to talk to them because if they, God forbid, pass away at some point in the future and you had the opportunity but you didn't, then you're going to go, ugh, why didn't I do that? You know, so I figure, what the heck, talk to as many people as possible. Yeah, Tommy, James, of course, was with the Shondells, right? Um, Correct. And... Gene and Paul had an early background vocal session with him in 1972 on the song Celebration. So um, see see if you can get any stories out of the... He was in between albums, I think, and uh, it it was a non-album single. And they were, of course, lurking around Electric Lady, God knows, waiting for spec time for, I think, the, the Wicked Lester album, or maybe it was after that. But maybe you can find out about that and certainly something interesting to ask him about since they are connected, regardless of whether he remembers or whether the band remembers. So cool. always fun to develop those tangents. And yeah, you know, he's a fixture. I think he's I've always thought of him on kind of the same level as we think of Tom Jones back in, in Britain as one of those elder statesmen of music that, you know, just are a fixture. People know of but maybe don't know enough about their music. Anyone else on your schedule? Uh, because, of course, yesterday the announcement was made for Ace Fairly Origins Volume 2. It's being scheduled for release on September the 18th, which is very neat that it's finally going to see the light of day, as it has been done for quite a while. Um, so the track listing is out. We'll talk about that briefly. Yeah, yeah. I opened the Ace in October. It's going to be in the area. I it's not going to happen. They pushed it from the spring, which people thought, okay, but it's far enough away. Honestly, it's probably going to push next year, and um, I'm a ticket, but I got like 30 bucks for something crazy. So thank God the ticket is still valid, because I think concert tickets are going to go sky high once we're able to actually buy them again, because they're going to have fewer people, which means they need to make the same amount of money or more, and they're going to have to... Prices are just going to go up, which is so unfortunate. It's already an expensive hobby to begin with. <laughs> yep, that's true. Solani, um, have you uh, made any of the purchases of the new vinyl? Because obviously, Origins 2 came and went very rapidly. The gold LP limited edition has now been replaced with the gold and black translucent, grape and black for Europe. I think there's also a blue edition and unmasked on kind of splattered vinyl has also uh, just gone on pre sale. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I ordered the, uh, the gold. Um origins volume two and cd combo on i guess that was tuesday um so i get got in on the, the thousand of those and then yesterday i i did order the unmasked as well so i i am very guilty and i am exactly who who the band is targeting i guess <laughs> <laughs> you, i'm a sucker you know how i always bash and say, I'm not, I'm out, I'm done. I saw the unmask. I'm like, I got to have that. I got to try it. I'm sitting there, and it was clear that the shop was being overwhelmed at the time. I'm sitting there waiting, waiting. There's so much lag. Is this going to go through? Is this order going to go through? It did. I was like, yay. It's a little victory. So I I was very happy because I did skip the Dress to Kill 
And I did too. From the, from the sounds of it, it was a little bit of a shit show with a lot of damaged copies and cast orders as a result. Obviously, production during COVID is a challenge, as is getting any, any product out on time, pretty much, um, with everything that's happening in the world. Getting vinyl out to fans is the least of anyone's concerns at the moment. So, um, yeah, I'm happy that I got the unmasked. I am hoping that the effect from mixing the pellets and all that is a bit better because I am a big fan of that 1980 Mexico issue, the splatter mm-hmm. vinyl, which I have owned one, and it was an absolutely glorious thing to look at. So regardless, it's still cool. They're celebrating the 40th anniversary of an album that only went gold. <laughs> so um, I, yeah. I, I guess we should be happy and know that there's hope for the elder to be celebrated, maybe. Maybe not. But, I think uh, there's hope for almost anything at this point. If they're going to release a 40th anniversary of Unmasked, an album that you know sold yeah. very poorly, that if they're going to celebrate this album, I think it, I think it gives hope to to any album, no matter you know what what album your favorite one is, no matter how obscure it is. If it's if it's the Elder, if it's Animalize, you know what whatever it is, I, I think you can hold out hope for any album at this point. Yep. Um, and. Well, I guess with everything being stretched out because of COVID, we'll, the band will still be touring when it's the 25th anniversary of Carnival of Souls. Good chance. <laughs> Ponder that for a moment, if you will. Um, let's just get into one last thing on Ace, because uh, we would be remiss not to talk about his new single, Space Truckin'. Has come out, of course, with another animated video that follows in the same theme as what was the song? It was I didn't even bother checking back, and I can't remember. Uh, but the same sort of style that was done previously for one of the Space Invader songs, which I was very, very happy to see. All the little little nods to history buried in that video were just I. You know, I don't go looking for them, but when I see them, I get a chuckle. You know, right down to the guy in the bathroom drinking you know a can of something and you know some of the other stuff i'm not i know someone's already done a list of all of them but i'm not going to ruin it for you go find them it really is well done very entertaining i'm a big fan of the song i like what he's done i love how he's reconnected with rob sabino who of course was in crazy joe and the variable speed band which was of course ace's first outside of kiss credit uh, he was not a member of frilly's comet but he did work with the band um, on stuff in the mid-80s, as far as my work. I think he was thanked in the liner notes of the Frehley's Comet album. Michael, what, what are your thoughts on Space Trucking as the first taste of Origins Volume 2? So I was uh, on Spotify. It's one of those songs where they have a little loop of the music video, which is kind of cool. So it's right there, kind of fills your screen as you're playing it. And I agree. I think the animated style is cool. It's something different. I mean, even though he did something like it before, like you said, I think it's nice because most, you know, typical music videos are not animated. So it's just something different, especially in the Kiss world, um, to have that. And um, so, you know, I appreciate that. As for the song itself, um, you know, I'm not the most the person who's most familiar with Deep Purple, but uh, I was listening to their version and comparing it to this one. They seem very similar, but of course I prefer Aces. I mean, Deep Purple seems to be a little more, have more of a, like a little bit of a groove to it, where Aces, like practically all of his music, is just more raw, uh, less polish, just more like, you know, kicking down the door and just kind of throwing it right in your face, which I appreciate. I kind of like the energy that he brings to his covers, and I think that this one uh, is perfect uh, for him. Obviously the theme, right, the, the song... Uh, suits his uh, endless obsession with space <laughs> and uh, I, the guitar sounds great I mean I think um, yeah and the vocals obviously are ace I mean you know obviously if you listen to him too much you probably um, want to go to outer space just to get away from them but uh, it's been a while since we've heard from ace I feel like this is kind of a breath of fresh air especially now in the middle of this pandemic and we're all just kind of holed up and we can't really enjoy live music I think it's nice to have a new song from someone that we love, even if it's a cover song, because Origins Volume 1 was, I think, a really solid album. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to this one, and I think that this is a good way to set the tone for it. Yeah, 
And uh, Lonnie, what's your take on that? Because I, I do know someone who I'd love to find out his opinion of it. No offense to you, Lonnie, of course. Um, and that's one of the biggest Deep Purple fans I know, Eric Singer. So uh, love to find out what he thinks of that take. Lonnie, what's yours? I liked it, you know. I, I that was it was a it was a good song, and, a, and it's a it's a good song to begin with. So that always helps um, when it's when it's when there's a cover of a song, you know. You can't, and I enjoyed it, you know. I, I, and I like Deep Purple, so I obviously enjoyed it, you know. But my my one issue with it is I don't know why, I don't know why we have to have a space theme for everything though. <laughs> you know, if it's Spaceman, Space Invader. The first single is space trucking. I get it. He's Ace Frehley. He's a spaceman. But I mean, enough's enough at a certain point, too. There's other good songs out there that we can cover or that we can do that necessarily just don't have space in the title of it. So that being said, I enjoyed it. I think it was good. But I think the whole everything has to be space is a little overdone. And I, I think maybe, you know, he is Ace Frehley. But you know, New York Groove wasn't about space. So I think, you know, I think we can have a, a good song and, and a good cover for that matter without it having a space theme in it. Yeah, now we have the official track listing to Origins Volume 2. Um, you know, starting off with Good Times, Bad Times, Never in My Life by Mountain, I'm Down by The Beatles, also previously covered by Aerosmith in 87. Jumpin' Jack Flash, The Stones, I, I mean, that's a given. Politician. Lola, 30 Days in the Hole. Some of these we already know about from uh, press quite a while ago. Manic Depression. Kicks, which I'm looking forward to particularly. And uh, we got to get out of this place. And the bonus track is She, featuring the Ace Frilly band uh, on it. So what are your thoughts of that track listing? Yeah, that's the only song that has a space theme, so... First single, it's out of the way. Space theme done. Oh, jumping Jack, Flash, Flash, Electricity. Okay, there's a little bit there. But otherwise, it's it seems to me to be exactly the sort of soundtrack from Ace's wheelhouse, the sort of stuff that he would have been listening to and into. Are there any ones um, from that list that you're particularly looking forward to uh, listening to or those that give you a degree of trepidation? Michael? Um, not really. I think, and this may go with my, um, you know, the kind of music that I like, uh, is not really these bands for the most part, which is interesting. My, my wife will play the Beatles and I'm like, eh, Beatles. I'd rather listen to Rod Stewart. I'd rather listen to, um, more like melodic music, I guess. I'm not. So for example, I think it's really fascinating that Humble Pie is on here because, uh, Gene and Paul constantly talk about Humble Pie, so I think that that's great because I'm really not familiar with their music. So for me, it'll be a great opportunity to hear uh, that. And also the Beatles song that's on here, I don't know it. I, I'd have to look it up and play it because I, I mean, and, you know, shame on me, I guess. But I've never heard of I'm Down. I have no idea what that is. Um, so that should be really interesting. Mountain is another band that honestly, I, I'm again, I'm. I'm aware of them, but I don't listen to them because in my free time, I'm just listening to more melodic music, not necessarily um, this kind of stuff. So I think that for me, that's great because I'd rather have an album of songs that I'm not, you know, really familiar with because it'll expose me to new stuff instead of hearing songs that I know and love and uh, hearing someone kind of bastardize them. So I think for me, this should be a great experience. Uh, and of course, I'm sure he's going to kill it on She, because um, why wouldn't he? Uh, so I, I'm really looking forward to it for that reason, because I'm coming into it as kind of a newbie to almost all of these songs, where maybe for you guys, it's the complete opposite. Yeah, and that's a great perspective to have, mm -hmm. that not everyone's going to be aware of every song. So by buying an album, regardless of it being by covers, for some of us, it may be songs that we've all heard the original versions of or listened to on the radio or maybe been around when they were popular. And some of the Kiss Army is getting a bit long in the tooth. Um, but for others, why shouldn't it serve as an introduction and maybe a reason for you to investigate the catalog of that band? That's always a bonus of it. Or maybe, you know, the players on it, if there's a guest. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong when it comes to this sort of product, as far as I'm concerned. Lonnie, what's your take on the on the track listing? You know, I 
the, the one track that really stands out to me and that I'm really interested to hear is, is Manic Depression with, with Bruce Kulick, just because we're going to get the, you know, I know Tommy's been in the band for a long time, but, you know, two of them, two great Kiss guitar players together on one track. I mean, once, one, I don't know, Julian probably knows better than I do. The last time Ace Frehley and Bruce Kulick played on a track together, you know, was it, was it 1995 on MTV Unplugged? I don't know off the top of my head. Um, so I, th- I think that's really interesting. That's that's going to be a fun collaboration to hear those two together, um, to hear you know different different guitar player sounds from Kiss together on one song. So I, I'm really looking forward to that, as well as the John Five songs too, because I think I think John Five is a, is a really an, an underrated player. He does you know obviously he's with, with Rob Zombie with Manson before that, but you know he, he's kind of in the, you know. Well, he's Rob Zombie's guitar player. Well, he's Marilyn Manson's guitar player. He's never really like in the limelight, and he is a great player. So I'm really interested to hear his collaborations um, with Ace as well on those songs. Really surprised that that, that that one of the John that I'm not surprised that I'm not surprised that one of the songs John Five's on is a Cream song, but I am kind of surprised that the other one is a Beatles song that I, you know, I guess when I think about John Five, I think about something. A little bit more, a little heavier, given well, given John Five's history than than the Beatles. So I think that'll be, um, you know, really interesting. So I'm, I'm those those three. I'm the collaborations with the other guitar players. Those three I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, I can't think off the top of my head with Bruce and Ace on the same track. Uh, I did just check the ESP credits. Uh, and Bruce mm. did not play on Foxy Lady Crabby. Uh-huh. Um, so there is that. So yeah, it, it's, it's going to be fun. Speaking of the Beatles, my wife uh, decided to text me because she heard me say that I prefer melodic music. And she's like, uh-huh. how are the Beatles not melodic? They are. I was wrong about that. It's just, I guess they're a little, it's just not my kind of pop. If I'm listening to pop from like the that era, I'd rather listen to Dionne Warwick or like Bacharach and David pop, you know. So that's, you know, but hey, to each his own. I, I, I For me, I love to see how artists influence other artists and i do think these collaborations are going to be pretty cool like lonnie you're saying john five i think uh, it's gonna be really neat to hear him on these tracks robin zander's obviously mm-hmm. amazing i'm sure that'll be fascinating to hear that and bruce i think the people that he chose to collaborate with uh were all good choices yeah and you know going back to the beatles connection really um i'm down what i think has been described as the best little richard song he didn't write <laughs> which uh, obviously he passed away earlier this year. So yeah. I'm, I, I am somewhat surprised that they didn't rush it out as a single at that point, knowing that that history, um, and, you know, it would have been a nice way to tide things over in a, in a way, though. I didn't know that they had the origins picture disc planned in between. So there, there's all, always weird stuff in music business. Um, and as for the Beatles melodic, yeah, you know, but the, the Beatles had a spectrum that was, well, uh, bigger than my arms can span. So Very diverse. there we go. All right. So today's main topic, um, and Andrew, you're very late, um, <laughs> is uh, the 40th anniversary has just taken place of Eric Carr's live debut with the band. The, they had rehearsed at the Palladium in New York City, the former Academy of Music. And uh, the date, God help me if I get it wrong, just... July 25th, 1980, Mm -hmm. they did a single show, the only show in the United States for the Unmasked Tour. Um, They debuted their new drummer. They debuted three songs from the new album. They, I think it was the only show he did with his original makeup design before it got slightly modified to become easier to apply and whatnot. So it was an important event in history because, of course, that was the first original member being replaced by a new guy who basically no one knew. So the homework that I gave everyone this week was to listen to a recording from the Palladium, and uh, we're going to discuss that today. So, Michael, let's start with you and your impressions of the Unmasked Error and Eric Carr coming into the band and kind of just your overview of listening to that tape. Yeah, sure. I mean, I know for him, you know, it must have been overwhelming, right? I mean, this is really the first time the band had... Uh, change of personnel, right? It wasn't as if bands, when they're later in their career, 40, 50 years in, 
where people come and go every few years or and things like that. This is a big deal that uh, to step into that position. And I'm sure there's a lot of insecurity and a lot of um, nervousness, especially, like you said, to be performing the show in um, New York of all places, right? I mean, talk about a lot of pressure. Uh, and I thought that, you know, looking at the set um, and listening to it, it's a good, solid representation um, of music. And because they, they obviously had to have their classics, but then they have some great tracks in here from the Unmasked, uh, including one that I like that doesn't seem to get a whole lot of love, um, uh, is You're All That I Want. I, I especially like the demo take of that. Um, and so Hear It Live is great. Obviously, Talk To Me uh, is awesome live. Is That You is another terrific track from the album. Um, and yeah, I do think that Eric brought a certain energy to these songs because they'd been played live in a particular way for many years, obviously, with Peter. So I think what Eric brought to the table was just his, not only his playing, but even just his energy behind the kit, right? His mannerisms. And I think if you appreciate live music, you pay attention to just the little things that uh, musicians do. Obviously, the way that Ace kind of like, you know, leans back when he plays or puckers his lips, just like little things, mannerisms, um, that you just pick up on. And I think that those moments are cool. And I think that Eric brought a whole different, um, you know, uh, style to, to not only the music, but also to the energy on the stage because of that. So I thought that that was really, uh, apparent and, um, yeah. And as with any drummer, I think probably in the beginning, he probably was a little nervous. And as he got more comfortable in this role, years later his, obviously you can see how his drumming evolves same thing with eric singer you know he's kind of found his perfect style now within the band where if you look at his playing early on it's it's different uh, but i think that as a fan it's really cool to see how things change over time and how the the musicians adapt uh based on a, you know, a variety of factors so um i guess that's kind of my initial take on it yeah, I, I, I think one of the things that just strikes me the most out of these anniversaries now is that I remember 1985 being a new fan and looking back in magazines and seeing photos from this. And I'm like, oh, that's just a couple of years ago, you know, to, to 14 and 15 year old me. And here we are 40 years down the road. And it just makes me feel old looking <laughs> back at some of these things and, you know, everything that seemed new. And I wasn't even there. I mean, 1980, <laughs> I was listening to Queen and stuff. So, um, Lonnie, how do you kind of look back at this 40th anniversary of Eric's debut with the band? Because it really is, you know, like Michael said, a, a a momentous time for a band to have such a visual band as well that was built around that identity of four iconic members even by 1980 and suddenly here's a new guy a new character being introduced into the mix yeah. and um debuting material from an album he didn't play on as well yeah it's, it's really interesting and it really is historic for them to bring in a, a new member and bring in the new character. I often wonder, you know, how I would have felt had I been a fan in 1980 of Peter leaving and then bring, not only bringing in a new member to replace him, but, you know, him, him, you know, Kiss really changing their look from those four iconic characters. And now there's a new character. You know, what I, what I have felt at the time that all oh, Kiss, they, they've totally jumped the shark at this point with, you know, Kiss is about the four guys. You know, we talked about the Beatles a little bit ago. You know, Kiss was one of those bands where it's a really about all four members, just like the Beatles. And to have a member leave and another one come in and it be a different character, you know, basically really just completely flipping what the band looked like upside down um, and having this guy who didn't, like you mentioned, didn't play on the album coming in. Like, who is this guy? I've never heard of them type, you know, and, and, and that's what Kiss was looking for because they're, you know, anonymity at that point, people not knowing who they were. But I often wonder how I would have felt about that because we saw, all saw how people 
reacted when they put Eric Singer in the cat makeup. So I often wonder how I would have felt in 1980 when Kiss really totally changed their image. They had already, they had just changed their image and gone super Kiss the year before. And now we're super Kiss with a different member. So I, I often feel like I would have, you know, and, and a lot of people did. I often feel like maybe I would have jumped off board at that point. Um, but that being said, you listen to the show and you listen to Eric's playing. And people often talk about how when Eric joined the band, he rejuvenated the band. You know, the, the band felt new and fresh again. And even in his debut, you can you can hear that coming off that, you know, Eric, Eric's playing was was quite different from Peter's. And but it's not so but it's not really thunder, at least on the recording. It doesn't come off as, as thunderous as what everybody talks about with Eric Carr. You know, it, it's it's different. And and it and it did bring new energy, but it doesn't doesn't really sound you know like the thunder like on Creatures of the Night or something like that. Um, I totally disagree with Michael about um, "You're All That I Want." I think the song is trash, and <laughs> it should not have even been attempted to play. So, and I know Julian agrees with me because we've had this discussion in the past. <laughs> so, but talk to me, and is that you? They're fun songs to hear live. Absolutely, they are. Um, so it, it's a great recording and it, and it is so, I don't know. It, it's so, I, 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 I think I would have probably jumped off board at that point because the album probably wasn't, isn't what I unmasked probably isn't what I was looking for in 1980 out of kiss coming off of, you know, dynasty, you know, super kiss new member. I think I might've jumped off. I, I'm, I often wonder what, what my reaction was about. I want to jump in there because sure. you raised a good point. Um, when I got into Kiss, it's when Tommy Thayer came in. Uh, I mean, when I mean, I got into them during the reunion. I saw them on TV and all that, but I never saw them live. So my experience with Kiss, with buying a new studio album, with buying, uh, you know, going to a concert was Symphony, Kiss Symphony. That was really my the first time I was going to buy a new release and going to see the band live. So for me. Having you know gotten into them during the reunion tour, but not seeing them live, I was all ready to see that version of the band. And then all of a sudden, oh, Ace is out, Tommy's in, and he's wearing the makeup. How do I process this, right? And for me, I it was a little weird. It felt a little strange at first to have him in that role. So I can kind of relate to what you're saying, where oh, who's this guy? What's this makeup? I just Batman, you know. And there is a little bit of those growing pains. Because now I think he's great. Love him. I think that, you know, Kiss phenomenal way they are and do his thing. You know, these can exist on their own. And then finally figured it out and Tommy got comfortable with the band. You know, it all worked. But uh, everyone can do that. Some people, like you said, especially with the album at the time of Unmasked being so pop oriented, some people might just say, screw it. I'm not even going to take the time to try and adapt to the situation i'm out because i'm looking for hard rock and that's not what you're giving me and i want peter where the heck is peter um so yeah i i could understand why that might turn off some people but i just kind of wanted to share that because i was you know thinking about the parallels between tommy coming and eric coming and um you know how the band kind of weathered that storm because that was a big deal when tommy came in and ace was out same way with Peter originally leaving. You know, a lot of people never got over that, and a whole lot of people did. Yeah, and I, I guess for the, the big difference is that uh, in 2003, someone stepped into someone else's makeup. Well, obviously, it was mm -hmm. 2001, originally when Eric uh, replaced Peter. So they didn't have to cross that bridge back in 1980. I mean, 1980, um, and again, I, I don't want to try and be revisionist, pardon me, um, and, and try and put myself in those feet. But I, I, I kind of see Lonnie more as being one of those seven-year-olds in the audience in 1980. Not one, of those, not one of those people who might have been a fan in 1975 and be getting to the point of stepping out away from the band. That's just me disrespecting you, by the way. Um, it's okay. Uh, it wasn't you. Uh, <laughs> But but for myself, that, that does tie into a point that I get out of this this recording. And it is probably just from the taper's location. The number of children, young children, 
in that audience just drives me nuts. I, I remember when I first heard this recording years ago, uh, or a version of it, uh, and it really struck me as that was what KISS had become. It had become a carnival act for the children, whereas all the hardcore kind of older rock fans were listening to Judas Priest by that time. So that's why I won't try and put myself in those boots, that pun, um, because it, it, it had become a carnival. And I'm sure there was a certain amount of freak show to it, that here was a new a new member of the band being debuted. So it's like, what's going to happen? But you go to this and the screaming kids just put me off. It's like a dog barking during a meeting. Um, you know, cats just walk on your keyboard. Dogs like to be heard and just things that bother me. So I've never been a fan of this recording. I've never been a particular fan of this tour. It seems that all the recordings that have surfaced, and while I'm thankful that we have them, are tinny and shrill, just like the vocals. Because Paul was really starting to, well, he'd started his ascent into the stratosphere vocally. So singing stuff like, is that you, was really not particularly pleasing. Uh, You're all that I want wouldn't be pleasing sung high or low. Um, It's just one of those songs I do not like, period. Talk to me. It's just kind of blah. But, uh, you know, let's get into some specific questions to address about this album. Um, Or this show. Are there any songs that you find Eric particularly striking with his new style versus what Peter Chris had been doing? And not just to the latter part of his career of the band. He had a very particular style that was, you know, there are nuances of no training buried in his drumming style that make him very unique as a drummer, so very identifiable, versus Anton and Eric, both of whom are very, um, I'd say, more technical and and maybe more measured in, in their drumming style. And that's the first thing that I do notice is the double bass. All of the songs have more kind of bombast behind them, so the performance has more bombast. The band has more bombast. Like for the first time in years, they have something to prove again to the fans that it's not just Eric undergoing a baptism of fire in New York City. It's the band undergoing it. Can we do this with another ingredient added into the mix? Does it change our dynamic as a live performance? And that permeates the whole show. Um, But certainly there are lots of songs within there that we'll talk about specifically that I find Eric is more strikingly different than Peter. Lonnie? Well, I think right out of the gate with King of the Nighttime World, um, it's evident that, and you mentioned the, you mentioned the double bass drum. It is really prevalent um, on King of the Nighttime World. That song's, the the drums at the beginning of that song are almost made for a double bass, really. Um, Because I love the way Eric plays on it. And I love the way Eric Singer plays on it too on the double bass. So I think just right out of the gate, that one, that one just stands out to me immediately. Because I was looking for, when listening to the show again um, for the first time in a while, you know, I was really honed in and listening for, you know, just just really trying to listen to Eric more than anything else. And with that in mind, right off the gate, I'm like, wow, it's strikingly different. If you go back and listen to some re- some recordings on the destroy on the destroyer tour of um, of King of the Nighttime World, it's very strikingly um, unique compared to that. Um, and I thought God of Thunder, God of Thunder is the other one. Is if there's two songs that really stand out to me with Eric, it's it's those two songs. It's King of the Nighttime World and God of Thunder, both Destroyer songs. And don't get me wrong, Peter busted his ass on Destroyer, and Bob Ezrin took him to camp for it. But those two songs are strikingly different um, live with with Eric playing. Um, you can just really hear you can. Eric, I mean, God of, God of Thunder is a very drum heavy song to begin with, too. So I mean, it's not surprising that that's the other song that stands out to me. Um, but Eric's drumming really comes across as very, just very different than Peter's and and those two songs more than anything else. And there's just, it's just much heavier and just more, I don't know if it's more fills or it's just more, more heavy. It's just very different. Um, and I guess, you know, and and just like Julian said, he has something to prove and it it really comes off in those two. Michael, what, what kind of, um, is striking for you overall? Uh, well, I agree with Lonnie, but 
something also to point out is the drum solo, right? Um, you could tell that, which obviously is, comes out of God of Thunder, that that uh, is very different. And that's where I think a lot of times you'll see, um, you know, whether it's Eric Singer or Eric Carr, you can kind of see their, their style come shine through because they have that time to play. Uh, and also, obviously, Eric Carr, his, his drum set is different too, right? I mean, that was kind of the... I guess his drum set is much larger than what uh, Kiss is used to. And so it, it almost became its own thing on the stage where you'd be like, holy hell, you could barely see his, his head behind the, the drums. <laughs> so where is he back there? Uh, so I think that that was kind of cool because it brought this, especially later on when the band dropped the makeup, it was still something, um, you know, it added a visual element to a band that took away some of the visuals. Um, so I think, you know, later on that, that became a really cool part of the unmasked tours. Um, no pun intended, but, uh, yeah, so the drum solo I thought was really interesting to hear here because it was the first time that he had the opportunity to do that within the band. And obviously, you know, if you've heard a lot of Peter's drum solos, you can compare and see the differences. Um, so I thought that, that was interesting. And also cold gin I've noticed has a different uh, feel to it. Um, uh, especially later on, you know, which again deals with that whole evolution of how the songs are played. Because as the 80s would progress, some of these songs would be sped up um, in a way where you're like, holy hell, that is <laughs> a lot faster. Like, especially during the Animalize era, uh, a lot faster than what we were used to. Um, but I think that's kind of cool. I like it when it comes to live music. Like, I've seen the Eagles live, and they pride themselves on replicating songs as you hear them on the studio recordings. I actually prefer bands not to do that. I think that, like, when you see Kiss and you see them do Lick It Up and they have the little breakdown in the middle, like, things just to make it a little bit different or significantly different than what I, I, I listen to at home because, like, I'm paying for more than that, right? If I just want to... If I just want to hear a replication of the, the album, I'll just stay home. I'm here for a show. I'm here for some, your your interpretation of it. Something that feels kind of raw and authentic in a way. And I think that the, you know that does come through here uh, because because of you know Eric and because like they have new material to work with as well. Um, so I know that's kind of a long-winded response, but uh, I just had some thoughts. I was thinking about it and. Um, you know, uh, I guess the last track that I'll mention is I Was Made for Love and You, because um, the interesting thing about that, obviously, is that it's not really Peter on the album anyway. Um, and then, you know, he was playing it live uh, on the Dynasty tour. And here you have Eric playing it. And that's a song that I really has the drumming has played a, a dramatic role in that song live uh, and them just trying to make it heavier live and you know i think we kind of get that experience here or a little bit of it here um where later on it would probably even come heavier but um yeah it's just it's interesting because this is a really strange time in the band's history so to hear this knowing where they would eventually go and what would follow all of this it's kind of like the midway point right you have like original kiss you have this and then you have everything else <laughs> and this is just kind of that one moment in time uh in between those eras and um it's really fascinating for that reason yeah very great thoughts there um i think one of the things that bothers me in a revisionist sense is that obviously they've done the live concert for hbo by editing up the uh japan 77 video the nhk stuff i think this would have been a perfect opportunity and listening to this tinny shrill you know audio, audience recording just makes me very sad that there's not a full pro shot of eric carr's debut uh with soundboard audio that they could have put out on hbo which we could then enjoy as a bootleg to this to this day all right let's get into to some of the the more specifics of this show um what are some of the songs that you think Eric particularly shines on. I'll go first with three picks that really stood out when listening to the recording. Detroit Rock City, I think Lonnie mentioned this. Um, there's just a rolling thunder underneath. You don't really hear, because of the quality of the recording, 
all the nuances and all the elements, but you do have that undercurrent of power that all of a sudden the band didn't have that necessarily before. And that's not in any way denigrating Peter. It's just that the completely different style, the double bass work, you know, being brought to these original songs just gives them a kick of vitamin B and caffeine all in one shot. Uh, so that's something that I find very noticeable. And also the nerves. I, I believe that's the first song of the night. And, you know, what nerves Eric Carr must have been feeling going out onto that stage for his first show in, you know, a massive band. I mean, this is Super Kiss. Even, you know, Dynasty was big in the United States, even though the fan side was dropping off a bit because of the economic and other you know, things that were going on in the country at the time, not least the changing musical landscape. But I, I thought they nailed it. I think they, they completely set the tone right there with a the successful first song. Another one, Shout It Out Loud. And, it, you know, you, you mentioned it, Lonnie, that, you know, you were talking about two songs from Destroyer. Mm-hmm. You know, well, these are two songs from Destroyer for me that Eric Carr makes a completely, you know, style change of what Peter Chris went through boot camp to account to accomplish with a limited drum kit and a single bass drum that Eric Carr was bringing a more maybe modern and schooled technical approach to really changed the dynamics of the song. And I'm not a fan of shout it out loud, but you know, at this performance with it playing, being played more true to the 1970s style I really enjoyed the heck out of it. And the third one that uh, I thought he really shot on was New York Groove, probably for similar reasons to those mentioned with I Was Made for Loving You on Dynasty, because obviously Peter, Peter had not drummed on that. And I, I just thought it gave it a real, you know, kick where, um, you know, Ace was also fantastic at this show, I thought. So, Michael, what what were some of the songs that you thought he particularly shone on? Uh, so you mentioned two of my choices, so Detroit Rock City and Shout It Out Loud. I'm Actually, Shout It Out Loud was probably the first. I remember when I became a fan, I bought You Wanted the Best, You Got the Best. Um, I think I was one of the ones that bought that. I think Double Platinum and MTV Unplugged. So the first time I heard shouted out loud it was like that cut from alive you know mixed into that compilation and i loved it i felt like it was just like it it had like the energy that i've wanted from like a live show that i hadn't seen yet and so to me that song is a special place in you know my heart for that reason and the drumming is a big part of that right like it just like it's really prominent in the recording live and in the studio so um I think for that reason, Eric stands out in that song. Same thing with Detroit Rock City. The drums are very integral. It's not like it's just simply in the the background. And then the other one I was going to mention is Love Gun, because um, that is a song, again, where, like, you have, like, that machine gun drumming. And that, uh, you know, again, he's just kind of center stage for that, especially in the beginning and the end of the song. Uh, And I just love love gun i mean it's just a phenomenal song with a ton of energy and then you add to that his new energy and uh it kind of puts it over the top so I'd, if i had to pick three i would go for those great picks all lonnie yeah and i think we're going to overlap quite a bit here um because i think you know you know for obvious reasons that you guys have already stated love love gun was one of my picks because it is such a it's a, such a thunderous song with with the drums at the beginning, like like Michael mentioned, it's it's so and, and Love Gun is such a great song to begin with too, so it just stands out. So, but for me, it is Love Gun, and I had already mentioned um, I mentioned King of the Nighttime World and, and God of Thunder, and you guys didn't didn't mention those, but I do agree with Julian with you guys on Detroit Rock City and Shout It Out Loud too. That um, just the stylistic change, even though you know, like we mentioned. They're, those songs are great with with Peter on there, but just the stylistic change, just make those songs just you know really stand out amongst the others. So you know, not not much to contribute other than the fact that I just agree with both you what you guys have said. Yeah, and that's the surprising thing about this, really, and it comes back to I think the theme of Kiss was rejuvenated, uh, at least for a period, because the, the problems didn't go away that Peter had left with. A still had, and Gene and Paul had their demons as well at the same time but there was a real kick in the ass to a lot of the classic songs and 
again, picking three that you, you kind of want to mention, I, I think for me, Strutter goes from kind of walking down the street to stomping down the road, you know, because of how the drum changed everything. Um, Firehouse, again, very early 70s stuff stylistically is transformed. And 2000 Men, it's, you know, that song is absolutely monstrous on the on this album so you know two of aces songs and two of the early period songs you know were there any that really jumped out at you as his drumming providing a massive kick in the ass for and changing it like that uh, lonnie um just just massive changing i think you're i think you're make a good point with strutter that you know strutter did have like a you mentioned just a just a, a stylistic just casual type feel and you put Eric Carr with the with that intro it's just you know kind of makes you makes your eyes perk up a little bit just just right off the bat so um I agree I agree with you on that that that's 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 that was very different um and I think 2000 man too is is a good is, was a good choice as well um just different we keep saying we keep saying different but you know different is good and it was, it was so it was so fresh and, and and it's what kiss needed after some of those dynasty shows brought you know I don't, I don't think they could go out and have another tour like that so i think it brought just g and paul feel i, I just wonder i wonder how g and paul felt like after they got off stage that night and and, and ace for that matter what you saying g and paul you know, Ace, Ace is there too. Ace's original member still there with them that night. But I wonder how the three of them felt walking off stage that night, thinking, "Wow, that was that was fun." You know what I mean? That was, you know, that that was fun again. So I, I think, I think that's an interest, interesting thought. I, I wonder how they felt, or did they feel like? I can't imagine not thinking that was fun because it, it is such a different sound and such a different feel to it. So. But it's, 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 I got off topic from your question, but you're, uh, I, I have to agree with what you said. The, like Strutter and 2000 Man kind of are, are very different. Though. They're probably thinking, oh, crap, we're going to England. <laughs> <laughs> got to go back there. Uh, Michael. Um, so I, I guess I'll pick two. One of them, both of you talked about. But So I think 2000 Man, the thing that's really interesting about that song is that it wasn't a single. Um, I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily talk about it uh, as a great like studio cut, really. I think it's more of a song that took on a life of its own because of its live um, performance, not only on this tour, but obviously subsequently um, on MTV Unplugged. And for whatever reason, and Kiss has always had these issues, especially early on, sometimes the, the studio recording just wouldn't capture the, the energy or the... the um, the grandeur that they were trying to get of their live show on in the studio. But uh, this song was just a perfect example of that. Like, let's take an album cut basically and perform it live. And all of a sudden it becomes like this like staple. And uh, I guess you could say talk to me is kind of like that too, in a way uh, where most people I imagine prefer it live. Um, although it's funny because you have like Ace talking, I mean, you know, like how he drags out certain words and he sings, he's like, talk to me, talk to me. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ, could he drag that word out anymore? Uh, it's little <laughs> things you notice live. And um, so, yeah, those two in particular. But I also think Cold Gen, I mean, again, going back to that, not that Eric's drumming like radically changes the song, but uh, to me, Cold Gen is such a badass song. I love that guitar riff. Uh, you know, just in that, dan 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 and then Paul doing his thing and then all of a sudden the bass comes in I mean, it's just this great song where it's just like one layer followed by another layer and then another and then of course the drumming right and so to me it's just it's just this great like statement you know it's kind of like where gene simmons talks about like throwing down the gauntlet right uh, like we're here to rock and uh you know for so for that to be kind of the number two song uh, i think that it's it's kind of perfect that way and um it's just a great way to set the high energy of what's to follow, uh, you know, right after Detroit Rock City. So I'd have to mention that, too, even though it's not radically different. 
uh, I think it's different enough that um, kind of gets you pumped up. Right. So they debuted three new songs at the show, obviously from the Unmasked album. Is that you talk to me and you're all that you you're all that I don't want. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, what are your thoughts on these songs? We've talked about these a lot, you know, through the years on this show. But, you know, just picking these three on this show since it's the 40th anniversary, just to give your thoughts of them. I mean, is that you and talk to me? You know, talk to me. I'm just not a fan of that song in any way. I think it's more than adequate. Is that you? I like less as the years go on than I did originally when I first pressed play on my Unmasked cassette as a new fan. I really liked it then, but uh, with each passing year, I seem to like it less and less for some odd reason. But I think with both of those, Eric really brings a, a little bit of himself into those songs as, you know, he was allowed to, um, you know, straying a little bit from the album but not too much staying within very much closer to the spirit of that album than he did with some of the traditional stuff. This might come as a shocker for everything that I've said about you're all that I want is that I really enjoy it on this recording, this version when it's played closer to the album in tempo and everything. Um, I find it better than that album version. And I think the solo the guitar solo from Ace is absolutely fantastic. So if I'm going to pick a favorite on this show, on this listen, it's actually going to be the song I like least of those three, which is very strange. Michael, what's your take on those three new songs being performed that night? Um, yeah, I think it's important that artists uh, perform new music from an album. Like, And I feel like a lot of people don't appreciate that as much as they should like when i saw neil diamond live i was like thrilled that he performed music from his new album even though people were going to the bathroom when he did it i'm like what the hell are you doing he's doing like these new songs uh i'm all about that so when i same thing replies to kiss i think it's great that they did this uh because also now that we're looking back as these fans who um kind of like to archive this stuff and you know appreciate it it's nice to look at all the tours and see like, okay, the, cause these songs may never be performed again, right? When they perform new tracks, this may be it. Um, so it's good to, for them to happen at least once. And, um, yeah, is that you? It's just not that good of a song. I mean, Paul had stronger songs on that album. Uh, tomorrow uh, is just fantastic and other songs too. So I don't know why the heck they picked this one. Uh, talk to me. You know, it's okay. I mean, as I said a minute ago, if you listen to Ace, you know, kind of whine, talk to me enough times during the track, you go, oh my God, just shut up. Uh, it's like, I'll talk to you if you, if you don't talk to me. Um, so, yeah, that song is a little grating. It feels to me like Talk to Me is kind of like a poor man's 2000 Man. Like 2000 Man is, you know, a good song. Talk to Me is just kind of like a knockoff. I don't know why, but those songs feel like, like, brother and sister um it's like we don't really need both just pick one so instead of that i would have done just a different track uh and what the heck we all love uh, naked city what just give her to talk to me throw in naked city um that would have been a hell of a lot better um and you're all that i want yes that's the one that i would have picked um because the studio recording just is neutered it's just not that great. I think what's good about the demo, which I mentioned earlier, is that it actually has kind of like this harmony and this kind of, even though I don't care for them a whole lot, Beatles-esque type feel to it. Um, and the guitar sound and all that, it just sounds more pleasant, I guess. And hearing it live here is, is very interesting. And as you said, the guitar solo part was great as well. So... Yeah, I would say, in order, you're all that I want, talk to me, is that you? Great word for talk to me. Rating. Perfect. Nailed it. That's that's <laughs> my descriptor for it from now on. Lonnie. <laughs> um, you mentioned, we talked about you're all that I want, and I agree with Michael that I do like the demo on, on um, the box set and other demos of that better than what's on what appears on the unmasked album the unmasked album version of the song is it's almost to me that that version is almost unlistenable I, if i if i want to listen to that song i always go to the demo version of it i never go to the unmasked 
version of it. It's it's really watered down. It's really really bad. So, um, this hearing it live is different because there are some good songs on Unmasked, like you guys mentioned, and and you're all that I want would not have been close to one of my picks that hey we got to debut this song live when we debut the new drummer. Just it just wouldn't have been in the mix whatsoever. Um, is that you? I get it. You know, it's the first song on the album. We're going to play that. It's the first song on the album. So, and Ace getting a song to play, I think, I think is great. And, and Talk To Me, I, I like Talk To Me. We did a, our, our ranking of, of unmasked songs a while back, and I, I ranked Talk To Me really, really high. So, I, I would rank them Talk To Me 1, Is That You 2, You're All That I Want 3, because I, I think, but, it, and Is That You and, and You're All That I Want. I want I, I just would have picked different songs i would have picked naked city i would have picked tomorrow because there are a lot of good songs on that album um that never got played live which is a real shame so and i would love to hear you know, tomorrow live that'd be great so it's kind of a kind of a letdown that that these were the picks and these are the songs that they stuck with them for the remainder of that tour and then you guys also mentioned well you know you hear a song live a new song live you might not hear it again well When's the last time we played? Is that you and you're all that I want live? So that's a great. Those are that's a great. That's a great example. On the cruise, wasn't it? Is that you? Was wasn't that brought back? I don't know. Possibly. No. no, there we go. You know, it could have been worse. It could have been Shandy. I already stiffed as a single, so maybe if they had performed it, we wouldn't be tortured by it every time. You know, they go to Australia, they feel the need to dig that one out of the 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 ground. All right. So before we wrap up, let's get some of your top picks of uh, Eric Carr's history. your top 10 or some of your top Eric Carr kisses moment in history involving Eric Carr that stand out in your mind your picks it could be anything you wish as long as it's related to Eric so Lonnie let's go back to you to start that with some of yours do you want me to give you all 10 do you want me to give a few what do you want me to do However many you want, you know, you, if you look at your 10 and narrow it down to the ones that you think are the most important. I'll throw a few out there. First, the first one for me is the drum intro on King of the Mountain. I mean, there's no more. I mean, that's, that's the most Eric Carr moment of them all, in my opinion. That's the first one I, I have. If you're going to give me the floor first, I'm going to I'm going to pick that the drum intro of King of the Mountain. It's so thunderous. And it's just Eric Carr in a nutshell in the first three seconds. So that's that's definitely up there for me. Um, I'm going to throw out there the Animalized Live from Detroit. I think Eric is fantastic on that. We mentioned how fast those songs are played on the Animalized tour, but I, Eric is incredible. And that, that video really showcases Eric as a drummer that we really didn't, that we really don't see much of other, other than that video. And I'm going to throw one more out there while I have the floor. Um, and that's God Gave Rock and Roll to You, his final little appearance with the band. And it's very, very appropriate. Yeah, very poignant as well. You know, you, you grabbed one that would have been mine, obviously, which is the King of the Mountain intro. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely fantastic. I would not pick anything from Animalize Live because that's chipmunks on, <laughs> chipmunks on acid. Um, not to my liking. Um, I, I think the only one I would add in is Eric Carr's 1987-88 drum solo, which was the culmination, really, the zenith of where he went with his... Well, it's just insane um, and fantastic. Love listening to those. Uh, and maybe All Hell's Breaking Loose, which he brought most of to the band. Michael, what are your top Eric Carr kisses? Yeah, you guys really picked good ones. Um, King of the Mountain is a great uh, example uh, of a way to kick off a song. And it kind of goes back to a like cold gin, right? You just kind of have a little bit of a taste, and then all of a sudden it just kicks into gear. And... Uh, and of course, you have like a Paul just going, you know, yelling, and uh, it just like goes nuts, and it's just a great song. Uh, but my first memory of Eric Carr was I was up late one night at home just watching uh, TV, and I think it was one of the first times I noticed Kiss. I saw the Forever music video, and it stayed with me. I don't know why, but I they, they had a bunch of Kiss music videos on it was VH1 or something like that. And I was just struck by not only the visual style of the video, but um, Eric, because you know his big hair and his drumming, and uh, it's just it kind of really captured my attention. And of course, the song is great. 
So I, that really, um, I appreciated that. All Hell's Breaking Loose is phenomenal. Um, and probably the best song on the, on the album, I'd say. I mean, Lick It Up is great, of course. I know it's like the song, but All Hell's Breaking Loose is just fantastic. I'm with you about Animalize. It's pretty much trash. Um, <laughs> uh, Asylum is great. I also really love Crazy Nights. And I think that when I think of Eric, I also do think of the... Um, the song crazy nights because it's got this nice big feel to it and actually even though this isn't eric carr related i love on i think it's the kiss 40 cd the live version of crazy nights because of the fills that eric singer has uh toward the end of the song because he added some that weren't in it and I, I i really like that but um and then of course you know hot in the shade i guess that goes back to forever as i was talking about revenge you know, it, you know, Lonnie mentioned it. God gave rock and roll to you. I mean, it really has become this song where at the end of every Kiss show now, that song plays, and it's just a special song. I feel like between the fans and the band, and um, everybody thinks about that when they think of, uh, you know, they think of Eric because uh, it was you know his last time with the band and that 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 video. So, uh, and then I also think of, um, you know. Uh, kiss exposed uh because i know we're talking about music and things like that but i just think it's worth mentioning the the videos at the time um not only the music videos but the home videos which are pretty cool and kind of gave people uh, a little bit of the personality of the band including eric and i also hear about because i didn't grow up during that time but i think of also the fan stories because everybody talks about him as being the nicest person in the band at the time that they met i um, mean everybody talks about of course how great bruce is but I've never heard anyone say, oh, yeah, I met Eric Carr. He's a real asshole. <laughs> Everybody says he's just the greatest <laughs> guy, took time for the fans, and was just really accessible, approachable, and um, grateful. So I think that that, to me, is his kind of legacy, is that he was um, you know, a drummer for the fans um, and that he didn't take them for granted. So uh, it's a shame that he wasn't with us longer. Uh, than he was because it would have been nice to have met him or have seen him perform live. And um, yeah, but, but hey, he, his legacy with the band is pretty incredible. And you look at all the music and all of the things that he did during that period of time. Yeah, we go through a box of Eric Carr radio appearances and enjoying the hell out of listening to those and his interaction with fans on the phone lines and just with the DJs playfully in the studio, you know. Um, again, I never got to experience that either, unfortunately, but there we are. All right, so what are your opinions on the topics that we've discussed today? You know, obviously revolving around Eric Carr's Palladium debut in 1980, Origins Volume 2 coming forth very soon, the unmasked, colored, multicolored vinyl. I think it, it, we'll call it sprinkle vinyl. Um you know, so everything that we've talked about today, chime in with your opinions wherever you listen to us on iTunes, on the FAQ, on Facebook, and elsewhere. Um, but now, I guess, to end, there's a lot of drama going around in the KISS world right now. Michael mentioned this earlier. Um, so let's leave this show by reliving the glory of Eric Carr's very first drum solo with KISS. Here we are, 1980, The Palladium. Eric's first solo. Take care.
Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.